Hello there, brothers and sisters, and welcome back to Esoteric Psy, the podcast and institution where we strengthen and increase the consciousness of our community through sharing a dialogue of esoteric wisdom, psychology, and spirituality in a practical way so that you can apply it in your day-to-day life. My name is Maddie Elizabeth. I am a philosopher and a spiritual life coach, and we have with us here today Dr. Alex Aldana, as well as a very special guest who is returning... Dr. Alex Aldana, tell us a little bit about yourself and what we have in store for today's episode. Hey, Maddie. Well, I'm a therapist and a, an astrologer, and um, but I'm really excited about Mr. Vlad coming in, just to introduce him. Uh, around the age of 12 is when he first started interacting uh, with disembodied souls, with um, seeing entities. I think he, he began when his grandfather uh, passed and he, he interacted with him. And through his entire experience of uh, mediumship, he interacted with several masters and disembodied souls that taught him different skills uh, as uh, how to heal. And through his work on himself, uh, he developed the practice of realized medicine. So um, he last last episode, he actually shared what becoming realized is. And in this episode, we kind of want to... Uh, pick his brain a little bit more about how he understands the universe and reality to work and so we can get a good background for things. Vlad, it's it's beautiful to see you, my friend. How are you? Doing well, man. Thanks for having me back. Uh, so, uh, Vlad, you mentioned last time that... Hello. Who's the, who's the young woman at the end? Are we going to introduce her? Because I know her. Oh, yeah. She's our audience today, and she's going to co- uh, co-host uh, the next session. We have uh, Miss Whitney, who's uh, a Kundalini yoga instructor, and uh, she is uh, studying Vedic astrology, an uh, apprenticeship for that. Miss Whitney, how are you today? Hey, I'm good. Thank you. Happy to be here. Oh, well, it's a pleasure to have you along with us today, and uh, we're going to be interacting in the next episode quite a lot. So uh, it's it's beautiful to have your presence with us today. Uh, Vlad, last episode, you taught us a lot about um, how you view the world and how the universe works. Um, there, there is, I would like you to expand a little bit more and give us a bit of a background. Because uh, you said, you know, once your soul starts growing, you know, it, it pulls more energy, it expands more energy, and you're able to do more things and grow as a person. So just so we understand what happens, what's this relationship between um, soul and spirit, and why we incarnate in a human experience to begin with, and how this flow of energy uh, will either diminish or increase in our soul. Um, can you give us kind of a background on how all this works so we understand where you're coming from a little bit more and how we can interact better in this world. Uh, I just want to give you a disclaimer just so uh, the, your audience understands is I, I like to keep things realistic. Um, I developed my understanding. I didn't read it anywhere. I developed my understanding as a result of a natural ability that I came with that I don't have an exclusive to we're all souls going through a human experience if we choose to we can develop an aspect of ourselves and brighten the light so to speak and have access to um, the unseen world or otherworldly kind of uh, um, gifts and uh, possibilities so you know people are I hear folks say, you know, they're constantly taking courses on how to learn how to heal and learn how to see and learn. None of that means anything. It's completely irrelevant. So if you learn tricks, they're incremental tricks and they're, they're, they're kind of useless. If you take the time to develop your soul, and I'm going to segue into your question, taking the time to develop your soul means you develop that part of you that gives you life and that gives you understanding and inspires you and ignites your intellect into being able to co-create your reality. So if you spend time refining yourself and correcting your 
whatever issues you came into this world with that you've chosen to keep, if you continue constantly to have a ritual life, you then brighten the light and you don't have to take courses on how to imagine triangles and where to put your hand to heal someone. You can stand next to them and they can become healed. You can say something to them and it changes their understanding and they become well. So it's through our understanding that our reality changes. As long as we always have a, uh, a ritual connection to the creative force. Okay, so first of all, if we are a part of God, right? Like we mentioned last time, like a tentacle of an expression of God. That means we're perfect, right? So, and you mentioned that we're here for correction. So first, like why would we choose to like create this world and then incarnate in it and interact with it when we're just fine and all connected to God and happy and united with him? Why would we choose to, to make this world, first of all? I'm not fine, bro. I'm not fine, and I'm not perfect. And neither are you. Whoever sold you that dream was lying to you. So um, we came, everything has an imperfection. If it didn't, it wouldn't need to come into the human experience. This is the most, uh, this is the busiest experience in consciousness, meaning If the soul stays in the soulful experience, it can't learn fast enough. It, it doesn't have enough external experiences that it can refine itself through. So it enters the human experience over and over again to refine itself. And the refinement process happens as a result of choosing and deciding what path you're going to pursue. So why would we enter? Oh, we didn't create this world. The creative force did. It created the world and it then expressed itself into the human experience through us. And we direct its will. Its will is only to create. It doesn't punish, reward, or destroy. So That's interesting because, uh, you know, sometimes this, this uh, and let us create, man in our image right it, it the i think the actual translation from the jew from the actual jewish text is, is plural and let us create man in our image so if god is one why is that phrase plural so you're now getting into big biblical text you want to discern kabbalistic principles i'm not a kabbalah teacher but i can tell you that it isn't us. It is a plural because it's omnipresent. It's everywhere. It's everything. And it, it's in everything. There isn't a, a hole in the needle that it doesn't create. It's, it's absolutely some people say, well, oh, this applies here, but it doesn't apply to me. No, the creative process is constant. So if the creative process is constant, then it applies in every aspect of your life. So then uh, it is plural. We are its expression, so we're plural. Right? Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, because what I understand is, you know, God is infinite and perfect, but we are also part of Him. So that there is part of us that's you know infinite and perfect, and but somehow when we come into this physical experience, like you know, we're not perfect, and with this body and and stuff, right? So when you talked about refining the soul, I understand how we can refine the personality and the temperament and the human manifestation of this. But I would understand for the soul to be perfect, or is it more like the Vedic say that what happens to the body sooner or later affects the mind, sooner or later affects the soul. And I imagine it's a two-way streak, right? So whatever happens to the soul can affect the mind and affect the body. Or so uh, as you go through the human experience, if I choose not to, uh, uh, I mean, I'm going to say off the wall things, you know that, right? I oh, yeah, choose, of course. Yeah, yeah. I choose not to watch porn, right? So then uh, porn is a, is, a, is a loveless experience. It's fantastic. Everybody watches it. It's the biggest, one of the biggest industries in the world, right? Nobody wants to talk about it, though. So uh, in my neighborhood in, in Brooklyn, they used to say, don't, don't whack off because you'll go blind. 
<laughs> but it's actually true because if you think about it, look, you're, you're watching a loveless experience for the sake of physical um, gratification, instant gratification. It has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with a feeling. It has to do with physical gratification, which means you become disconnected from your heart. You're just uh, appeasing your lower extremities, your lower vibration. And so, of course, you deplete yourself of energy, which, of, of course, uh, um, affects your soul. And intermittently, you pulsate to a lower vibration. So you lower your vibration two ways. You're not actually three ways. You're not present. You're disconnecting yourself from your significant other because your, your eyes are uh, an expression of the soul's intent to see. So you energetically separate yourself from your significant other and you're wasting, uh, as a man, semen. It's, it's a complete waste. It's waste of new ideas, new life. So, of course, all of that physical experience affects the soul. That is um, a great answer. I think Whitney has a question she wants to ask, and I think Maddie as well, if I'm reading her body language correctly. so <laughs> Maddie can go first. Thank you, Whitney. So I have a question regarding soul refinement. So I understand that we all incarnate on this planet to refine and, you know, correct our, you know, uh, souls. What happens when this process is completed or is this even possible when a soul, uh, fulfills everything that, you know, they're supposed to learn and refine and correct and whatnot? You know, as a result of having medium mystic abilities, I've encountered a number of situations where I would have to ask myself, well, what was this guy's process? I mean, why did he, you know, 30 years old, completely fit. Uh, I just talked to a mother who lost her 30 year old child. Um, He was uh, into water sports, water skiing, super handsome, beautiful girlfriend, tough, trained in MMA, Took a pill, drank some, uh, took a Zanny, drank, drank some alcohol, went in his hot tub and drank. And she said to me, what did he do? Why did he leave? What's, what, what's the problem? God doesn't want him here. He wasn't ready to go. Of course he was. He was physically fit, but he couldn't deal with anything emotional because he had to constantly numb himself with substances. He didn't live a connected life. He was completely disconnected. The fact that you train your body and do Pilates and work your muscles or, or run to the gym or run has nothing to do with your spiritual development. So the lack of resolve, constantly numbing yourself emotionally through substance abuse, he was overwhelmed by emotions. Look what happened to him. He drowned in water. Water is emotion. So... To answer your question, the refinement process is different for everyone. We're all individuals. We are not the same. We might all come from the same source, but we are not the same. That's another uh, piece of misinformation. Muslims uh, look at the world in a completely different way than the Judeo-Christian world. Sikhs and um, and the Hindus look at the world in a completely different way than we do, which means their perception of reality and the text that dictates their um, ability to observe the human experience changes their human experience. So the vibrationally, their souls, that which lights the light of their life is different. So then we're vibrationally different. It means our perception is different. Are we all souls? Of course we are. But we don't see reality in the same way makes us completely different. So our refinement process is different. Then you look at them as groups. They're vibrational groups. They bring something to the, to the, to the complete circle of, of reality. Islam is committed. Look, they're willing to die for their God, for Allah, right? Uh, the Sikhs understand uh, reality in a different way. They, they, they stimulate and strengthen through their dedication and devotion to to Kriya Yoga. 
the Christians have something else. They all bring something to the whole. But we are far from the same. Whitney? Did he answer your question? Listen, I want you to to remind me because my brain, you know, I I spend a lot of time in the ethers and um, the many years of uh, substance abuse. So I forget sometimes what I was saying and I go off on tangents. So you might want to stop me and remind me to go back to your questions. But I promise you, I'll give you a very concrete answer. Uh, Maddie gave us a thumbs up. so, So Whitney, go ahead. I, uh, speaking to like one of the things you were saying about, first of all, I wanted to say like this unfortunate passing, but also it's, uh, inappropriate, right. For me to view it with any judgment of the son that passed the 30 year old that passed, but you were saying, you know, he's physically refined. Uh, that wasn't part of his pro that wasn't part of like the soul's process here, but like for somebody like me, that was part of the pro- my soul's process. Like when I met you to refine my soul, I had to start being way more dedicated to f- refining my, my physical. So if, if I may stop you for a second, just so yeah. everybody else in the audience, I thought this was going to be like some sort of contrived secret. You were just the audience. This is one of my favorite students in the world. So um, just <laughs> brilliant and, and knows more than probably most people that I know. So please continue. Now I'm now I'm sweating and I'm nervous to talk. Uh, I wore deodorant today. I never wear deodorant, you know that. Um, so uh, I just wanted to point that out because I think that's like one of the things to consider is like one of the things I had to learn was like why is why is it that one person can like my husband, you you know, Michael is like he can eat whatever he can whatever, you know, like I'll have a cup of coffee. My blood pressure goes up 15 points and he'll smoke out an entire cigar and eat a cheeseburger and his blood pressure is fine. You know? So it's like this, this the to the split on that. It feels inappropriate, but really it's my soul came here. Like I must've been a glutton in a former life because I, I don't have that capacity to uh, overextend in that way. So I, that was like something that came to my mind when you were talking about this kid, but also earlier you, you were talking about once you start refining, you then become a co-creator of your reality. And my question is, are you not always a co-creator of your reality? Like when I met you, my life was just like a total fucking mess. Uh, and that was my own doing, whether or not I understood that I was doing it. So like, are you not always a co-creator? It just becomes intentional. So you, of course, you always are. That's how we enter the human experience. But if your light is dim and you don't attend to your light and you have all these contrived conditions and stories and statistics that you constantly contribute to in your outcomes and in your process, then, of course, your reality, your co-creation is dim. So you encounter a young man, God rest his soul, that, you know, that lived the way he lived. He was a mess. He was an expression of where you were. Uh, Yeah, we were a mess together, for sure. I mean, once you you accept that, of course, we're all souls. We're constantly co-creating. I adored him. And you know how I feel about you. But uh, yes, you still co-create, but you're faced with contrived obstacles, your your story about who did what to you, constant blame, distraction, uh, intellectual, physical, sexual, uh, a lack of understanding, no tools, completely creating a disheveled reality in which you stamp your feet and complain that somebody gave, dealt you a bad deck of cards. And then the light comes on and all of a sudden the people are refined and you encounter new expressions of your new belief system. Yeah. Of course, my, my, you know, Nora Lilly, right? She's a co-creator. She's so slick. I'm telling you, she's, (laughs) you you have no, I'm sorry. I sound like it's, I'm an obsessed father, but you're going to love this. She's five years old. This summer, she went to a day camp in, 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 in Sunny Isles, which is on the beach. It's an enormous 15,000 square foot martial arts gym. 
and uh, uh, they do all kinds of activities. They go to the beach, they go to the pool, blah, 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 whatever. You know, there's maybe 40 kids in the gym. Uh, 15 of them are her age, between five and seven. Do you know that all the older kids carried her around every time I went to work out? Do you know that every teacher is obsessed with her? They don't know. It's, it's Al-Qaeda and Hamas mixed together. <laughs> She's a terrorist, bro. I mean, she doesn't stop. She gets up at 6.30 in the morning. She does. She's like, a, a, like the Tasmanian devil. Yet she created this reality for herself. Yes, I put her in the camp. But she could be some, you know, nondescript kid sitting in the corner waiting for somebody to play with her. Every time I come there, somebody's carrying her around. She co-created that. She understands how to maneuver. She understands how to make people <laughs> her slaves. And this is what she does. And they adore her. Thanks, Melissa. So they adore her. She's super cute. She's really smart. And if she doesn't, if she can't engage you in playing or being cute, she'll engage you in smart conversation so that you say to yourself, oh my God. This is a five-year-old? No. And you want to hang out with her. Every time I come, her teachers, her coaches are like, where's Nora Lilly? <laughs> She's a co-creator. Yeah, this is why she chose, this is why she her soul chose to come to you at this age and not when you not when you were like 30. You yeah, know? for sure, for sure. But look at Theo and Lou. Look at Sam. I mean. Sam has his ability to co-create. Sam is my older child. Got blown up uh, in Iraq. But he, this is a, a magical, so I, I'm sorry if I'm going off on a tangent, please stop me. But think about it. Sam grew up without me. I left his mother uh, when he was three and they kind of separated me and I was up to my own shenanigans. So I didn't see him um, for a while. And He's super high voltage, very perceptive, super intelligent, um, very detail oriented, intense young man who grew up with a simple mother who was a manicurist when I met her. She was just super cute and together and had a child, but she couldn't sustain his intellectual capacity and his perception of reality. So she engaged him in conspiracy, worst case scenario, constantly expecting uh, something to fail, planning for the worst. Everything is negative. So this high frequency, high voltage wire is not given, being given the system which can sustain that huge capacity. What does he choose? He becomes angry. He becomes uh, suspect, conspiratory, and he, can't, he engages himself and goes to war to kill people. To, he, he's angry, so he goes to an angry place. That's a, that's a co-creation. Um, Vlad, yeah. the, the Chinese have a saying that if a child is born with fire in a water household, you have to get him out of there because otherwise they're going to put his fire out. So there does seem to be like a temperament we're born with. So if your child, in this case, in this example, right, uh, was born with a lot of fire and it wasn't, uh, he didn't feel kind of in his space or accepted or uh, that wasn't handled correctly. Like he obviously would think there's something wrong with him or 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 he looked for another outsource of that. The Chinese will actually, if the temperament of a child doesn't coincide with the temperament of the people around him, they will actually have him move into like a, his grandparents' house or an uncle's house. So he's feels more like, like a part of the household. Uh, is this something you kind of think is correct or not correct? Cause I, I mean, we, I think it's absolutely incorrect. I'm okay. sorry to cut you short. The reason I think it's incorrect is because uh, you could take one of my children or me, I needed to come to a family that I came into and be in it so that I can get refine my evil inclination, as the Torah says, because I came with an understanding and attachment to being 
on, on the side of, um, let's just say, not on the side of goodness, right? I had to refine that. So if they had taken me as crazy and, and, and out of control as I was, even at five or six years old, and put me in a house. They, they did. They put me in a household with my grandparents. I terrorized them. If my grandmother didn't do something right, I stuck needles in her chair so she would sit on. I mean, <laughs> it doesn't do anything. You have. To, I had to be around my father and my mother. They're both super overachievers. They're both extremely controlling. They're both alphas. They had to. I got my 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 insanity got ground grinded down by my father's way of parenting. That actually proves my point, uh, or the point of because the temperament was strong achieving just like like you are so with being put in an in environment where you were faced with like the same essence like yeah of, of course i mean the the structure that you needed that they gave to you uh but it, it's a similar temperament like you were you're strong you're you're strong-willed you're you're focused you're an achiever and that was the environment you grew up with and that's what did well for you or did good for you right well so but moving me Let's say, they, uh, from what I understood from your questions, yeah. what you said is that moving somebody like me or Nora Lilly, Nora Lilly got moved to her grandparents, to my father and his wife, and she's now a completely spoiled brat who expects to be carried all the time. So her temperament, if you train it uh, 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 consistently and engage with her and, and stimulate her intellect, um, she's an overachiever, she's methodical, she's concrete, she's reliable, she's super smart. She doesn't, she didn't really need to, but that's how it worked out. It just worked out the way the soul needed it. So now she gets to refine, in this environment, she gets to refine her what's called the evil inclination to be a slacker. So it's kind of like, a, you can't, I, what I'm getting is like, you can't really make a blanket state blanket statement about it because like a soul is individual and it comes with a experience that's needed for refinement. Like I'm thinking of, um, Michael, my husband who was adopted from birth and, you know, was the family he came from, like he has all the inclinations of the family that he came from, his mom was like four, his dad was 14, ran off and joined like a carnival or something. Whenever he found out that he had impregnated his, uh, mom, Michael's mom. And he got, um, you know, adopted into like a super pious Christian family, but also they're very lymphatic, uh, you know, just, which is like a more, like they're heavier, they're denser. People had a very like strict religious life, uh, and in a way I think like his, they loved him dearly, but he also like kind of terrorized them, you know, uh, but that was part of their process and part of his process together. I got a very interesting call, uh, as a result of my, the things that I do with Peter Resnick, you know, the, the, the 10 commandments show or whatever, or whatever you want to call it, our discussion. And as a couple uh, that adopted an Asian kid who is autistic and she's driving them to, to drink. I mean, these two, they, they scheduled an appointment with me and came on the screen and they looked like somebody sapped the life out of them. They were sitting there exhausted. They couldn't speak even. And so I realized... They said, well, what do we do? I mean, what do we do? We're, 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 we want to give her up. I said, well, she's 12 years old now. What are you going to do? You're going to give her up. But they were joking. They're very sweet, middle American people, super educated, very well spoken. But uh, it's not by chance she came to them. She came to refine them, for them to find order. Because autistic kids are high voltage wire with no grounding. You understand? They need order in methodical environments. So these people, even though they're organized and educated, it's not enough. They need uh, a way, a way which engages them in receiving so that they can engage that expression of themselves, even though they didn't give birth to it, 
with energy that contain it's this in, insane uh, lashing out of, of energetic um, inconsistency. In other words, it, it's just splashing around. It has no grounding. So it's taming them as a result of their finding order. It'll, of course, uh, sweet, sweet people benefit. The reason why I originally asked the question was because there does seem to be this kind of new age thing of passive least resistance of not necessarily doing the difficult thing. And I see it a lot with in consultation where the parent doesn't want to have his child face difficult situations and they're kind of cuddling and like, you know, that's maybe he's not um, meant for this. And there's nothing harder if your child is better off in a different household. Uh, the, the, the general uh, consensus is no, well, my child is better with me or whatever. And having to do that difficult thing for that, that would be better for all parties, even though there's an attachment that, that is difficult to let go of, uh, that is difficult for, for most people. And, you know, it can lead to maturity and a lot of addictions and a, a lot of, of different things. Um, so what, when should we follow the past of least resistance and when should we do the difficult thing? When so, do we know what is correct? I think most, the way you know what is correct is if you think in a realized way. You would never, first of all, give up your child. It's completely unnecessary because the child needs parental love and adoration. And as soon as you're willing to accept responsibility that this out-of-control live wire is an expression of you, you tame those qualities so that the expression of you can now express the new you. So if Nora Lilly is out of control and doesn't want to respect boundaries, I have to look at myself. Am I asking her to do something that I'm not willing to do myself? You understand? So instead of giving her up to a bunch of people that she doesn't know uh, in a new environment where she has to develop new survival skills, she's not going to be loved the same. She's not going to be nurtured or treated the same. She doesn't need to go to another household. The parents need to correct themselves instead of demanding something of their children that they're not willing to do themselves. So once you become realized and there's no problem, then you won't have people coming to your office and say, well, he's crazy. I just had a call from another country. A woman in her 60s, she said, oh, my son uh, is abusing um, marijuana. I said, how old's your son? She said, he's 47. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, the guy's a grown man. You're worried about him abusing marijuana? Let him abuse marijuana. That's what he wants. No, but this is the issue. She's overweight. She has no spiritual life. She has no understanding of reality. She has absolutely inconsistent towards herself. She has no emotional growth. And she's demanding from her expression to do something that she is not. So he doesn't have to go to a, a, a different uh, family. <laughs> she, she needs to correct what it is. <laughs> like Gandhi said, it's simple. Be the change you want to see in the world. It kind of reminds me of what we were talking about last time where you're, you said that every single thing we experience is simply an expression of what we harbor inside, like in terms of our belief systems and whatnot. So that, that's very, very interesting. You're, you're an expression. Take all five of my kids. You'll see me from the out-of-control uh, bandit. And Laura Lilly to Emma Rose, who's totally focused. She's methodical. She's kind to see all the, the studious ones who's super, super. I mean, is the next senator to uh, Sam, who's delusional and a slacker and a hero in his own mind. So, those I'm, I'm, I'm happy to accept that those are expressions of me. And if I want to refine my children, I can't stamp my feet and drag them to therapy. I need to accept those qualities in myself and, and diligently work on them. So part of the purpose of this podcast is to take kind of these abstract, airy-fairy, um, new age ideas and, and spirituality and make them practical and make them um yeah, this tools we can use to work on ourselves and make ourselves stronger, more conscious people, right? 
Um, so there are certain concepts that are thrown around in uh, in all these spiritual uh, teachers and all these terms like dimensions. I think Maddie wants to ground or make some of these concepts practical. So she has a question she wants to ask you with pertaining to that. I just wanted to intro. Thank you, Alex. Uh, yeah, I just, I see like on so many social media platforms, such as like Instagram, YouTube and the like, you see so many masters and teachers saying that we're entering the fifth dimension as a collective or that some beings operate in 4D or 5D and these just terms are thrown around loosely and none of them seem to be able to explain the difference between what these dimensions are in a practical way. Uh, either that or there's just like copious amounts of contrasting information from different sources. So there's no really like objective clarity on this topic. So how do you understand the dimensions and how can we apply that to our lives? Or do you I even subscribe to that? I think they're confused, man. <laughs> Probably. About, like, I think they're talking about dementia, not dimensions. Could be. <laughs> so, you know, because of my life and because of, uh, I like to teach the way I would have liked to have been taught. But unfortunately, I wasn't taught. I had incremental infusions that were imposed, really. My, my mentors like Jerry Epstein and my Uncle Peter, who's a huge part of my life, he, I never took any of his classes. He, he, I'd come to him and say, listen, I'm going through this. And he'd say, go make your bed. Really? What are you talking about? What do you mean? What is, what is making my bed have to do with what I'm going through? Eventually, I understood. So uh, the reason I'm going off to the right is because uh, I don't bother with dimensions, Maddie. You know, I treated a young man probably around 10 years ago. His mother is a very famous psychic. They're, they're out of Chicago. She ended up sending me a gift. She painted a uh, she made this incredible piece of art, uh, uh, image of, of the angel Raphael, who was an angel that I saw in 2002. Um, she called me and said, look, my kid is um, jumping through portals. Um, and he's super psychic, but he's losing his eyesight. He's going, he's clinically blind. I said, how old is he? She said, well, he's 24. I said, okay, well, have him call me. And when he called, him a pompous asshole. I mean, from, from like the first moment, we had nothing to discuss. But, you know, mother asked me. I, I applied myself, of course, put my reactions in my pocket and listened. And I kind of stopped to hear him out. I said, so why do you think you're losing your eyesight? Well, it's because uh, the world is not light enough for me. So... I asked him if he was okay with me making an observation. He said, yes. I said, look, you're losing your eyesight because you're taking your soul that is supposed to be fueled by only one source of all life and jumping into realities that have nothing to do with the vibrational texture of your soul. Therefore, dimming the light of your, the light of your soul and it expresses itself in your eyes because the eyes are an expression of the soul's intent to see. That's why you're losing your eyesight, not because you're so grand and the world is a dim place. So I'm bringing that incident and up because I'm not interested in dimensions. I'm interested in reality as it is right now. I'm interested in you and in her and in him. This is my reality. If it's not in front of me, it doesn't exist. I don't care about dimensions. I'm doing my part to move forward so that we move forward as a collective also. I'm engaging people in understanding how they can contribute in daily life to affecting their reality and raising the vibration of their souls so that they can stop complaining and worrying about whether this is the Aquarian age or Sagittarian age or whatever age it is, you're in it. Stop worrying about which one is coming because it doesn't matter. Tomorrow is not promised to either one of us, man. So one of us, God forbid, might not live to see tomorrow. So what's the point? Who gives a shit what dimension it is? What, so what? They're enticing you with what's called 
spiritual materialism. We're going into the fifth dimension. Let me tell you something. I went to the bathroom today. Did you? I promise you it came out the same. Is that the fourth dimension or the fifth? What's the difference? What is that going to do for you if you figure out what dimension you're in? Is that going to make any difference in your practical reality? This much difference. It's all kumbaya bullshit. It has nothing to do with anything. Give me a practical tool. Tell me how I can get up and not be insane. Not to think about how to walk outside and smash somebody in their head. How not to hurt myself. How not to be depressed. How not to take a substance. This, this country in the world, is in, it's a pandemic of substance abuse. Everybody's either drunk or stoned. I don't care about dimensions. People are taking ayahuasca, tripping on mushrooms so they can reach some dimension. Come back to earth. Figure it out. You're right here. This is my dimension, right here. You see all those books? That's my dimension. (laughs) Whether it's the third or the fourth, I don't care. My past life, I don't care about my past life. What's the difference? So what? Uh, I lived in Chicago. Does that help me in any way? I wouldn't live in Chicago if you paid me. Isn't that meditation also avoiding the present human experience then? Meditation is fantastic. Why? Because it gives you an opportunity to learn how to tame your intellectual distractions, your sexuality, whatever it is that distracts you in the human experience. It it gives you an opportunity to be still. I find that for me, emptying my mind doesn't work because I don't know how to be empty. And it's really against Judaism to be empty. So I find the Sikh meditations and Kabbalistic meditations are much more productive. Uh, the reason I like the Sikh, uh, the, the Kundalini and the Kriya uh, meditation, because their repetitive mantras have an intention and they occupy you verbally so that your intellect is not consumed by possibilities, lack of possibilities, the past and what you should do, what you shouldn't do. It's very hard for beginners or even people who have been doing it for a while to sit for a significant amount of time in meditation. I find, from my experience, you can do whatever you want, but the Kriya meditations are much more effective. They have an intention. They have a, a verbal expression. They focus you in the moment. They keep you in the moment by constantly repeating something so it occupies you, so you'll sink into your insanity. And it's still, it's not an empty. You're not emptying yourself. You have an intention. I was, I was going to second that. The the Kriya meditations uh, that include the chanting are like the best for me. And it keeps you at, it keeps you at a high vibration. I have an issue with like going into meditation and then just like, you know, spiraling a little bit if I get caught on like a tangent thought wave, you know, so that they've been really beneficial for me because like what good is meditation if it becomes ruminating, you know, if you're ruminating in it? Well, I I sit 12 hours a day sometimes treating people, right? You've seen me work. I mean, you know, (laughs) it doesn't stop. Sometimes some days I can start at 8.15 in the morning. I don't stop till midnight. And even though I know how to sit still and focus on the individual that I'm treating, it doesn't matter. I still have the human experience and it's distracting. So that's why I play that music that I sent to you, uh, Alex, because it engages me. I sing sometimes. I sing to my, my patients because it allows me to verbalize something that has an intention that is engaging me in strengthening my own energy, that's engaging me in uh, uh, relaying conscious uh, godly energy to heal the other person. So Um, so it's not avoiding reality. It's giving you a different reality. But then how do you know the difference between when you're avoiding reality and when you're getting a different experience? Because at the end of the day, smoking a joint is a different experience, right? Smoking a joint exaggerates your intellect, causes you to conspire against yourself and the people around you because it takes you out of your heart. It numbs you. 
it's uh, completely over exaggerates and makes you conspiratory because you become what you think is creative, but really it's not creative because it doesn't enhance the soul's light. It enhances your intellectual perception. So if you intellectualize, if you look at long time smokers, they're depressed because it doesn't give them a soothing feeling. It, it doesn't calm them. It causes them to conspire because they start thinking more and more and delving into the deluge of the human experience and discerning. So go, please. Um, we, we are running out of time. Maddie has to leave. So I'm going to let her ask one last question that has to do with that kind of airy fairy um, clarifying uh the yeah these concepts that aren't really well conceptualized and then we'll go ahead and end the episode and uh, uh, go ahead miss maddie well i guess i should preface this by asking if you even subscribe to this belief uh the belief of like twin flames and soulmates and how those dynamics play out of course i subscribe okay yes so look According to my uh, religion and tradition and philosophical understanding of, of reality of soulmates, we don't meet the one, Maddie. We, they become the one. We're all soulmates. Me and you are soulmates. Does that mean we can run off and get married and have five babies? No, because your understanding of reality and consciousness is different. Yeah. I, I live in a dream world and my dreams come true. You live in a practical world and you work for a living and you, you grew up with working people who are constantly need to go to an office and need to achieve. They have a degree. And so your reality and perception of reality is, is different than mine. So we encounter each other. Can we be soulmates? Yeah, we're, you're beautiful. You probably sing and dance and do all these great things. You're super smart. You're fun to talk to. But that's not going to long-term satiate me. Because if your internal, soulful belief, the way you look at the world, your perception of reality is not like mine, you're going to stop putting shit in the game. You're going to start destroying my reality. You're going to stop beating me up. Meaning, you're going to drag me back with your lack of trust and faith. You understand? So how is my wife, my soulmate? She has the same understanding as I do. She trusts completely, knows that it provides. I don't have a, a boss. No one guarantees me a check. I support four kids as a healer. I don't have a side gig. I ain't working in Whole Foods part-time, thank God. I'm not, uh, this is what I do. This is who I am. I don't send out flyers or cards. I hardly have a website. Unless you have, you when you encounter a person, you want to know if their belief system in their pace and faith in reality, faith meaning not religion, meaning the way they perceive how things work in the, in the human experience, that would make them your soulmate. More, more importantly, once you figure out that that's a common denominator, now you have to work it. In order to sustain the flame, so to speak, in order to sustain that energetic connection and be intertwined and be transparent and completely honest, it requires ritual, which you do as a result of understanding that that ritual life together energetically keeps you in alignment. And then you become one and one soul. Is there another person like you? Of course there is. But you don't, you don't have a, a concrete path. You have different potpourri of different disciplines. So you encounter people who also are kind of like that. And when it comes to being together, they're inconsistent. You can't rely on their word. They're not like you. They're not as methodical, not as dedicated. They're not um, pursuing uh, higher vibration goals. They're just getting by because when you don't have, when you have a potpourri of different disciplines and understanding, it's kind of uh, spiritual materialism. I like this. I like uh, doing ayahuasca. I like going here. 
If you're a Muslim, be a Muslim. So you encounter another Muslim person who's devoted, who loves Allah, who prays five times a day. And that ritual, that understanding, dedication and devotion keeps you intertwined in one. If you're Jewish, then be Jewish. If you're Christian, then be Christian. You understand? Those aren't, people are terrified of religion and orthodoxy. But remember, orthodoxy is commitment. It's not wishy-washy. It's not willy-nilly. It's not whatever, whenever, however. I'll just do this, but I won't do this. No, you either do it or don't do it. I can't stick my, my charger into my phone halfway and expect it to charge, right? Either I put it in all the way or I don't. So people ask, well, how come I can't encounter, uh, even uh, an example, my mother. She's brilliant. Brilliant, methodical, concrete, 72 years old, yoga, running every day, learning. She's an incredible human. She can't encounter a person. Why? Because she vibrationally doesn't sustain her soul. Just having intellectual ability and and Depth is not enough. You have to sustain it with methodical devotion. That devotion then fuels your soul, and then you encounter a soul who's not just thinking spiritual, who's living spiritual. You understand? And then you can live that life together. So you have to have a common denominator to consider someone a soulmate because it has to be vibrationally and intellectually correct for what you're pursuing so you can fuel it together. So if your mate, I'm going to add that I know you got to go. So if your mate is, you know, uh, if you're, if you're a, a Sikh and your ritual uh, requires you to get up at 4.30 in the morning, meditate, pray, do japchi and, and uh, 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 you know, 18 minutes of Sat Kriya, that's what sustains your soul. So you raise your vibration and your, your mate is uh, fondling crystals. I mean, what, what, what's he going to do for you? Nothing. Crystals don't give you anything. <laughs> you understand? <laughs> They're great to look at, but they don't strengthen your energy. But if you're doing 18 minutes of Sakriya, I promise you, you're going to affect reality. Like that shit's going to happen for you in the moment because you have a methodical commitment to a way. That is a perfect um, place to end this episode. Thank you guys so much. This has been Esoteric Sai. We'll, we'll put some links to Vlad's information um, uh, at the end. Thank you so much, everyone, for, for joining me today. <laughs>